warranty. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Parsha, but mostly uh, we'll focus, make it a little bit uh, special. We'll focus on Yud Shvat. Yud Shvat means the 10th day of Shvat, which is both. Uh, it is the Yorzeit, uh, the day of passing of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchak, in 1950, in Tafshin Yud. A year later, in Tafshin Yud Aleph, in 1951, on Yud Shvat, the Rebbe officially accepted the leadership and became the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe. So Yud Shvat, which is this year on Friday, just two days away, um, is the day which we remember both the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe and we always and we also um, celebrate the ascendance of the Rebbe on the leadership of the Chabad movements. Now, some of us, uh, most of us, are too young, not most of us, but some of us are too young to remember uh, the previous Rebbe. Uh, because we were born after the passing. I was born after the previous Rebbe has already passed on. So, I relate to the previous Rebbe through the Rebbe. And one thing is unique about uh, the Rebbe with the previous Rebbe, that although there is a little bit of a, uh, of a gap, so to speak, uh, whereas all the, most of the Rebbe's is the father to the son, and then again, the next generation, father to the son. There was an exception to that with the third Lubavitch Rebbe, also named Rebbe Menachem Mendel, known as Samach Tzedek, and also his wife, by the way, was also named Chaya Mushka. So it was very similar to the way the Rebbe Menachem Mendel and Chaya Mushka, he was the third Lubavitch Rebbe, he was actually a son-in-law of his predecessor, of the Mittler Rebbe. The Mittler Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, Duber, was his father-in-law. But still, the Tzemach uh, Tzedek, the third Rebbe, he had a very close relationship as well to his grandfather, to the first Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, Shneir Zalman, the first one who started Chabad, because... His mother was a daughter of the Alter Rebbe. So he was a son-in-law of the second Rebbe, but he was also a grandson directly through his mother uh, from, um, uh, who was a daughter of the Alter Rebbe as well. So basically he married his first cousin. He married, he married his first cousin. Uh, but, so there was a very close relationship. The Rebbe also comes from the Schneerson family, as his last name is Schneerson as well. Uh, but he goes back to the, actually, to the Tzamach Tzedek. This is the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, the Tzamach Tzedek had seven sons. The Rebbe is a descendant of the oldest son of the Tzamach Tzedek. His name was Rebaruch Sholem. Uh, the youngest son of the Tzamach Tzedek, uh, his name was Reb Shmuel, the Rebbe Maharash. The one who became the Rebbe of Chabad in the lineage the was actually the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, was the youngest of the seven sons. He remained in Lubavitch, and he became the Rebbe. So the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe uh, brother, Baruch Shalom, his oldest brother, so the seven, he was the seventh, the oldest brother. His oldest brother's great-grandson is the Rebbe, 
uh, the Rebbe Marash, his brother, the youngest and the, the, the fourth Rebbe, he had a son who, whose name was uh, Shalom Dovber, who became the Rebbe. He had other son also, but the Rebbe became Rebbe. Uh, so the Rebbe Maharash, next him, the fifth Rebbe was the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab's only son was the Rebbe Rabbi Yisuf Yitzchak, that was the previous Rebbe. And then the Rebbe became a son-in-law of the middle son-in-law of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. So while the Rebbe was, so to speak, a son-in-law of the previous Rebbe, but yet the Rebbe was totally devoted. And perhaps, maybe, I'm not sure that we can uh, uh, suggest in those areas, but... Perhaps that's whereas the Rebbe's spiritual uh, following of his father-in-law is so overwhelming, and maybe that is to compensate, I'm just saying. He wasn't a direct descendant of blood relative, but he was therefore so much more a spiritual follower of his uh, father-in-law, where a son naturally uh, would follow the father, but a son-in-law, uh, and it's, it's legendary just to uh, think about how the Rebbe uh, followed his father-in-law and how uh, he respected him and how uh, he would totally, he subjugated himself totally to do what the previous Rebbe wants to the extent that for some of us it's kind of hard to comprehend how somebody with such outstanding qualities, powers, intellect, like the Rebbe, how could someone like that even subjugate themselves to such an extent in front of any individual, even uh, a great Rebbe? But certainly uh, the Rebbe's uh, enormous uh, greatness in in all areas, it's like kind of hard to uh, imagine how could you uh, sort of devote yourself to such an extent? And But then the answer is very simple. That is part of the Rebbe's greatness, in which, just like he was a great uh, scholar, and he was a great tzaddik, and he was a great, uh, uh, in many uh, various different kinds of sciences and everything, the Rebbe's abilities and the leaderships and qualities, he was also a genius in his subjugation to Hashem and through his servant and Hashem's servants, which was an outstanding, the Rebbe's outstanding in that area too. That's an outstanding quality for a person, an ordinary person cannot maybe subjugate themselves, but it's only a person of the caliber of the Rebbe with his extra strength. He, he was able to see Hashem clearly and he was able to see uh, his father-in-law as the uh, Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation, so he subjugated himself. So when we say Yudshvat, it's two happenings, the passing uh, and the uh, leadership of the Rebbe, in essence, it's one continuation. The Rebbe never, the Rebbe never uh, sort of uh, accepted the idea, oh, I am here now the new Rebbe. The Rebbe would always talk about, uh, as we heard it every Fabrengen, the Rebbe would always refer to his father-in-law. 
besides the fact every letter the Rebbe writes, every Fabrengi, it's always his father-in-law, always his father-in-law. But the Rebbe would talk about his father-in-law as the Rebbe, and he would talk to him as, he said, the Rebbe, the leader of our generation. He would always say, never said that he's the leader of the generation. The Rebbe would never say about himself that he leads the generation. He referred to his father-in-law as the leader of the generation. And it's like amazing to see in the middle, and, and while the Rebbe had thousands of Hasidim standing there by Fabringen and everything and, and, and respecting the Rebbe, the Rebbe says, no, it's not me. It's really, it's my father-in-law. He is the, he is the Rebbe. So... Today, it's kind of hard to separate and say, well, it's the day of passing of the previous Rebbe, the ascent of the Rebbe. The Rebbe was like one continuous uh, chain. Although the Rebbe said we're the seventh generation, so it is the seventh, and we have the special responsibility as far as a generation. But himself, the Rebbe never looked at himself, and perhaps that's why the Rebbe created followers who also would do for the Rebbe, because the Rebbe led by example. Uh, in most cases, you know, people tell you what to do, but they don't necessarily live up, you know, as parents, as teachers, as rabbis. You know, a lot of times we suggest or we uh, inspire, or we lead, we tell other people what to do. We don't always come through uh, by ourselves. So... Our impact is limited, but if you lead by example, uh, then then it's uh, a real uh, impact influence. And the Rebbe influenced the whole generation. The Rebbe's holiness, because the Rebbe showed by example, but his own life, his own devotion to his father-in-law, his own devotion to the Torah, to the mitzvahs, to Hashem, reaching deeper and greater and more and, 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 and being able to aspire to greatness, to the love of the Rebbe, he created people that to see, they looked at the Rebbe and they were inspired by the Rebbe and they wanted to do as the Rebbe did. You know, when, when you tell people, and the, the other thing is like we were learning in the uh, Mimer now, um, when a, sometimes people, you know, rebuke, you know, rebuke you or somebody uh, says words that you know oh you're you're supposed to but you Hashem said you're supposed to do this and you're not doing the rebuke you so so then it's not really Hashem speaking through them they are like you know they're individuals they're simple people they're saying to you oh you have to do what Hashem says a prophet we learned when he rebukes He's speaking the words of Hashem. Hashem is basically, he becomes a conduit. He becomes a vehicle for Hashem's words. But he's not rebuking yourself because he's not an entity. He's, uh, the person is not an entity. They're just a messenger. But, you know, how does Hashem speak to a person? Uh, So you need a prophet for that. So the prophet, who is a physical uh, human being, can speak words that can be listened to by uh, by anybody else, but it's not the prophet telling you something that Hashem said, but Hashem is saying it through the prophet. So that means essentially a rabbi, a rebbe, who is a servant of Hashem, who is holy, and a servant of Hashem, he, his own self, his own ego, who he is, is totally irrelevant. He's only a conduit 
to bring to you the words of Hashem. So you don't, there's no sense of self here. There's no Him saying to you, but it's rather, it's Hashem speaking through them. They brought you the Torah, they brought you Hashem's word. And, and that's what the Rebbe felt about his father-in-law, that he was just a conduit to bring his father-in-law's words. So his father-in-law is no longer here in this physical world. So who's going to tell the world what his father-in-law wants to do? It's not like what he wants to do. He was just became a mouthpiece for his father-in-law. That's what the Rebbe looked at himself. So who's going to tell the people what my father-in-law wanted to do? So the Rebbe is saying, but he's not saying his own thing. That's what the Rebbe's approach was. I mean, let alone for us, we saw so many <laughs> new insights and everything, but that was the Rebbe's perspective. But because the Rebbe was like that, he gave us also that approach that we should be able to subjugate ourselves and, you know, in the service of, of Yiddishkeit that the Rebbe uh, encouraged. In, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, people... A lot of people are very, very devoted to the uh, to the shlichas, to the mission. To the they they do they go above and beyond that you would expect, you know, from any normal. We're not talking about a job or a good job or a dedicated job or people that work hard, who are successful people do well. But you go talking about way, way, way beyond it. They totally. Uh, you know, sacrifice themselves in order to fulfill and bring about, you know, what the Rebbe asked, level of, uh, of devotion. So, so today, again, we're sitting by Yushvat, almost talking about Yushvat. So I want to tie in something that the Rebbe spoke about uh, of, um, uh, in one of the earlier sikhas, the Rebbe talked about uh, and the, the one central um, idea that the Rebbe brings about, brings out in various different places when he talks about uh, his father-in-law, you know, talking about the earth, and which was also, I guess, something which the Rebbe, uh, as we said, the Rebbe did everything to promote and continue what his father-in-law started. So, one in Hebrew is called Mesiris Nefesh. Mesidus Nefesh means uh, self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Now, self-sacrifice has can be in various different ways. It can be, uh, self-sacrifice can be literally like the experience of the uh, previous Rebbe in which his activities were, to say the least, not favorable in the eyes of the communist regime of the time, of the Bolsheviks, it wasn't favorable. And they were trying to do everything to stop him. And they had all the power, and they didn't have to answer to anybody, and there was no, uh, you know, Stalin, Yemach uh, did not have to answer, did whatever he wanted, and he, he killed millions of innocent people. So to him, and in his regime, uh, this was not something which... Anybody can complain and uh, ask, expect justice, or try to uh, uh, get the reason. And uh, so, uh, it was very well known that uh, if you continue the activities that the Rebbe did, he was endangering his life. And um, and matter of fact, that uh, 
some people argue that it's not reasonable to do that. In other words, logically, it wasn't reasonable to do that because uh, what are we going to gain if um, uh, if they arrest the Rebbe, if they uh, punish the Rebbe, and so he's not going to be able to function at all. So maybe uh, do a little low key and uh, don't do the things that you do. Don't don't resist. You know, sort of. This is a time that you got to give him, but totally irrational, Mr. Snefesh of the previous Rebbe. And he says, no, he fought, and he got into trouble, and then he, and he, he was miraculously saved. But that was an expression of, of Mr. Snefesh, of literally Mr. Snefesh. But sometimes you have uh, Mr. Snefesh, you give up in... in uh, in by giving up something which is uh, very important to you, uh, meaning you give up not your life, but you give up your wishes. So something like you want very much, and you you have a strong desire, and you give it over. You know this is what Hashem wants me to do. So even though you want it very very strongly, you give it up because you know this is what Hashem wants. This is what this is what's important, and that's what you do. So what, just for a example, so sometimes when you have a person who's very learned, or sometimes when you have a person who is able to uh, come up with very uh, insight in, in various different uh, uh, Hasidic or Talmud or anything, you know, come up, it's a very enjoyable, and he's also very much uh, respected for that, and... Um, and you know that's you feel that you're utilizing your your strength. Only perhaps you can do it because other people don't have a sharp intellect like you. But what about teaching a kid, you know, olive base to go sage olive base gimel? Somebody else can do that. You don't need to be on such a high level. You don't have to be a professor. You don't have to be a, a mathematician. You can you know anybody can basically teach olive base, just a small, it's just simple stuff. And the same thing is that the Rebbe's level, the Rebbe gave Mr. Snefesh, he gave up what was um, important to him, the learning and, uh, and dominating, to the very simple things, to make sure that children can learn olive base, to make sure that there is a, a, a yeshiva, to make sure there's a mikvah, to make sure that there is Mitzvahs done so that you can actually literally do the very very simple things, and you say, well, why spend the time on that? But that's called also mesiras nefesh on that level to give up what you want to do, what you really enjoy doing, but you do what you're supposed to do, uh, or because the bottom line is, and this is also another fundamental uh, idea over here, is you're serving Hashem. In other words, we look ourselves that we're here in this world for a purpose. And which means, I've not been created, really. But I was created to serve Hashem, to serve God. Which basically means that we have a job that we're here. Why are we here in this world? It is to serve Hashem. So a person who really uh, feels that his or her entire 
uh, mindset is to serve Hashem. And if they can sort of separate their own enjoyment, their own self, and they're saying, I'm here to serve Hashem, so whatever is the most important thing, or whatever Hashem wants for me to do, that's what I'm going to do, even though sometimes it's a job that it's not so satisfying for me, but that's what Hashem wants me to do, then that's what I'm here, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what the Rebbe did. And the realization was, actually, that if you really want to bring down uh, the greatest uh, pleasure for Hashem and for the essence, for, for, for Godliness, uh, is it's actually to turn around and take the smallest thing, the lowest things, the, the, the simplest things, and working with them and bringing them closer to Hashem. You know, most of the yeshivas you go today or schools or places. So if you have a student who's uh, A-plus students, everybody loves it and everybody uh, gives them the attention and they're, 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 they're constantly put on a pedestal and they're made to feel wonderful. But sometimes if you have a student who is not as uh, successful uh, and is not doing well, uh, people don't, you know, pay too much attention, you know, and they say, you know, okay. And they, you know, sometimes it's, you know, they, they sort of, you know, brush them under the carpet and say, okay. But the Rebbe saw that in order for Hashem, the value of taking somebody who is less, somebody who is not successful, and bringing them, that's on that lower level over there, you can actually uh, fulfill God's mission that God wants from you. In other words, the A student will manage at the end of the day, but who's going to take care of that student that needs the help? And who's going to be there for them? Again, that's very easily said, and, and but the uh, usually the um, the student that needs help is it's not an easy thing. I mean, they resist, they can't. It's hard for them. They can't sit, or they can't uh, listen, or they can't uh, pay attention. They have other emotional or uh, physical other distractions, and you know it's, it's just impossible. So. It's very easy to give up on them. It's very easy to say, okay, this is too hard for me, and, you know, I just can't do anything about it. But the Rebbe's approach was to make for Hashem a dwelling place in the lowest of the places, which means in the most difficult. And that was essentially why uh, Hashem brought us into this world. You know, there's a world of angels and all the spiritual worlds. He wants us to take this dark world and turn it around. He wants us to make a difference and to show that Hashem is even in the darkest of the places, even the places that we think that are void of Hashem, that Hashem does not exist there. He wants us to show, no, that Hashem does exist even there. How do we do that? By transforming the places and the people and the ideas. By transforming them, then you're showing that they too are in essence, a place where Hashem will rest. Um, but this was called Mesiris Nefesh. This was self-sacrifice, which means you have to give up. You know, you have to give up from the easy stuff. You know, so of course, like the rabbi uh, would like to give a very deep discussion, and you know, and 
so that the students that understand will appreciate the depth of the teacher's mind, and they will really, but they doesn't have so much satisfaction by teaching these uh, people, the person that needs help. So anyways, this was, that's the mysterious nefesh that the Rebbe wanted. The Rebbe wanted to uh, always looked at the smaller things, on the very practical things, on the very, um, the Rebbe also brought about, and talk about the parasha, we'll mention the parasha today, which is the parasha of Beshalach. And the parasha of Beshalach uh, talks about when the Jewish people went out of, of, of Egypt. And so there's a verse that says, that the Jewish people, the, the Egyptians started chasing after them, and then we had the splitting of the sea. But when they went out, they went out, Yod Roma means with an uplifted arm. Rashi says they went up in a, in a very high spirit, and in a very public way, and they, they went out, everybody, you know, they, they didn't escape or run away. They did it openly and proudly, and... Uh, which was another uh, area which the Rebbe was always pushing that people should display their Judaism proudly, not hide it in your home and not try to uh, show yourself like you're to hide your Yiddishkeit, you know, in the house or not put it on the display. You know, the Rebbe was be proud of who you are and display it openly. That's why he says. Make the Hanukkah menorahs, don't do, you know, wear your beard, you know, don't put your yarmulke on, you know, don't, don't get excited about, you know, what is Yodrama. Yodrama means openly, proud, proudly. And when you're proud of, when you're proud of your Yiddishkeit, that's what you do, then you, 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 it's easier to hold on to it rather than when you're trying to sort of, uh, hide it and put it in the closet. And also, the Rebbe was also always talking about when you're dealing like with, as we live in the world, in the polit- polit- political world, uh, Rebbe was always uh, in pain when he saw that the leadership sometimes, Israeli leadership, were sort of falling on their knees and begging, and their approach was, as they called it, an exile mentality, like, oh, we have to worry, let's show... Uh, the goy that, oh, that we're nothing really, and he that we respect him. No, the Rebbe wanted to always speak. The goy will respect you. The non Jew respects a Jew who's a proud Jew, not who's a Jew who's trying to mimic or trying to be that is not going to help you. You need to just be be who you are, and that's it. And tell them that when the Rebbe talked about the land of Israel, about holding on to the land of Israel, the Rebbe said, we're not supposed to tell. Uh, excuses why we should hold on. We should tell the land of Israel because God gave it to us. It's our, it's our country, you know. He'd be but proud it, of President Trump saying yeah. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Yeah. Well, that's that's obvious. Yeah. yeah. You see, yeah. But in any event, the uh, the Medrash the says the the Targum says he translates the words beyond Roma. He translates the words. Biodrama stands for Bereish Gilei. That's Aramaic, the word there in Aramaic. Bereish Gilei, meaning openly ahead. You know, that, that's the way they went out. That's the 
translation of the words Biodrama. So the Jewish people are the Biodrama. So there is interesting, you know, talking about uh, abbreviations, so we know there are several people in the lineage who were effective in the um, in this dissemination of Hasidic, the Kabbalah, of the mysticism, the inner part of the Torah. Of course, we have Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. He was the author of the Zohar. Uh, he made the main book of the Kabbalah, which is the the book of the Zohar. He was. We celebrate on Lag Bomer. Uh, uh, the uh, that was when Rosh Hashanah passed away, so that's the author of the Zohar. Then we have the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchok Luri. He he uh, also disseminated to a great deal the uh, uh, the Kabbalah teaching. And then we also have, of course, more recent. Then you have the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Yisroel Baal Shem Tov, and then. And then, of course, as the Rebbe goes, you know, the Rebbe was talking also about his father, about the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Rebbe found it's interesting uh, that in the words, the Ramei Beresh Galei, in those Hebrew letters, you find the names of all these great, all these great tzaddikim that disseminated. But first, uh, there is a letter which Rabbi Yisro Baal Shem Tov, that's the Baal Shem Tov, he sent to his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law, Rabbi Gershon Kitover, lived in Eretz Yisrael. And the Baal Shem Tov had a lot of discussion uh, with his brother-in-law. He told him a lot of things that most of us uh, weren't aware of. And they did find the letters. Uh, there's a Geniza Khersonis and there's other places, some people challenge the authenticity, but it, it is definitely accepted as authentic. And um, and there's a lot of different letters over there. There was, the Toldus Yaakov Yosef was at that time traveling to Israel. So the Baal Shem Tov gave him a letter. It turns out that the the Toldus Yaakov Yosef, Yaakov Yosef never ended up making it to Eretz Yisrael. So the letter was left in his hands, and that's how we have that letter that the Baal Shem Tov wrote to his brother-in-law, to Rav Gershon Kitavim. One of the Kabbalistic, and one of the things that the Baal Shem Tov would do would be the Aliyah Sanashama, that his soul would soar up on high during various different times. There was different... They would uh, use various different kinds of methods and their soul would sort of uh, float and uh, experience uh, out-of-life experiences, but uh, communicate with some of the greatest tzaddikim in their place, their resting places in the Ganeden, in the heaven, in various different places. So in this particular re- letter, the Balsamta writes after great, with great trembling and with great fear, and he went up there and how he used the different... Uh, uh, types of uh, that means different names of Hashem to elevate but in any event the long story short he ended up uh, next to the room uh, in the Gan Eden, in the heaven where Mashiach was and Mashiach was teaching Torah to everybody 
not only to all people, but he was actually even teaching Torah to the seven shepherds, which is Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, the other He was teaching Torah to everybody. Mashiach in his room was teaching Torah to everybody. And that's the room where the Balsamtiv came at that particular time. This is all the Balsamtiv writing in that letter. And he asked the Balsamtiv, he says to the Balsamtiv, a Mosaiko Osimar. He says, Master, when will you come? When are you coming? You know, Mashiach, we're waiting for Mashiach all this time and you're not here, so when are you coming? Which, by the way, uh, this is actually not the Bashamtov, it's not the first one in the Talmud. We find, we find that he asked, he says, Go ask Mashiach when he's coming. And this is from the Talmud. And so he says, Where am I going to find Mashiach? That's what he asked him. He says, He's sitting over there between. The people of Zimbabwe and Hedron over there. So, so, Mashiach, so he comes back to the rabbi, to Rabbi Shubin Levi, comes back to the rabbi, he says, No. He says, Did you meet Mashiach? Did he tell you when he's coming? So he says, He lied to me. <laughs> he says, He says, Mashiach lied to me. He says, Why? Because Mashiach said to him, I'm coming today. And he never came. He says, he says, he says, he's coming today. He says, you didn't understand. What he said is, Today, if you listen to my voice, he was saying to you the beginning of the verse, that when you listen, when you hearken to the voice of Hashem, then today he'll come. So which means, yeah, that'll be the day. The day when uh, the proper time will be, will, he'll come. But in any event, in this case, the Bashem Tov asked a similar question. By Mashiach, when it will come. Mashiach's answer to him was, He says, when your well springs, the well springs, meaning the Hasidic teaching, is called your well springs. The well springs that the Baal Shem Tov was disseminating and teaching. And um, when they go out to the outside, basically, the world will experience and begin to learn the secrets of the Torah, they'll begin to learn the Hasidus, the Kabbalah, the various different things, that's the when Mashiach will come. That's the time when he will come. So, basically, in the chain of the revelation, there was different steps of the Kabbalah, because the Zohar, in the time of Rabbi Shema Bar Yochoi, and even at the time of the Arizal, the Kisva Arizal, they were still meant only for the select few. And uh, the uh, ordinary person had really no idea and no connection to the Kabbalah. There was no uh, no knowledge or uh, no association with the Kabbalah. And um, you had to be on a very high level uh, to understand even those few that could understand Kabbalah, could study Kabbalah, had to be on a very high level to be able to understand it because the secrets of the Torah were hidden in there and it was very, very mysterious. Uh, until it came to the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov took some of the uh, deep and hidden secrets that were in the Torah and he put it into very simple phrases and simple stories. So while some of the people that were even you know, eating up the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, they didn't even realize, you know, that there was some, 
you know, Kabbalah, that there was medicine in there, that there was the Kabbalah, the secret Torah, because they were sort of based on the principle. The people that consumed it, they understood. They maybe just understood the story. They didn't never understood really the depth and what's hidden in it and the secrets of it. They didn't understand it. But he made it available to them. And um, and after the Alter Rebbe came, after the Baal Shem Tov, um, you had the Magid of Mizrich. So the, 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 then again it started. So the Alter Rebbe was the Baal Shem 